Braves and baseball fans, it's time to take a trip from coast to coast across Major League Baseball. There it goes, a long drive. If it stays fair, home run. One strike away. Sandy into his windup. Here's the pitch. Swung on and missed the perfect game. Fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes! 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 And hello and welcome to From the Diamond. As always, I am Grant McCauley and joining me right here on 92.9 The Game for the first of many Sundays throughout the spring, throughout the summer, hopefully throughout the fall as well. As the Atlanta Braves and all of baseball kick off the 2023 season here, we've got exhibition action going and in the regular season. All 30 clubs, or at least most of them, are going to be aiming their sights on October and a World Series title. That, of course, is something the Braves know all too well, having won one not very long ago with their eyes on that prize yet again. As always, From the Diamond will be coming your way on 92.9 The Game each and every Sunday, typically 5-7, to seven, but as you know, if there's a Hawks game or some other great sporting event going on, we will be with you right after the conclusion of that. So appreciate you joining me after what was a very exciting Sunday for Atlanta Hawks basketball. You can also find From the Diamond wherever you get your podcast. so make sure you subscribe there and leave a rating if you wouldn't mind. That definitely helps out the show, and it's much appreciated. Follow along on social media. I'm at Grant McCauley on Twitter and Instagram. Like the show on Facebook and find links to everything and more at FromTheDiamond.com. With all of that shilling out of the way, we got a lot to talk about on this show and a lot to get to when it comes to Braves spring training as Grapefruit League games have now begun. The Braves have played two of those, and let's just say that one of them was certainly memorable, and that would, of course, be the first one. And we got a firsthand look at what some of these new rules could mean and exactly when they could pop up. And it could be at the worst possible time, as it was for the Braves. But the good thing about spring training, exhibition games, and what have you is, those don't really count for anything other than to say, you did your work that day to get ready for the regular season. However, we're going to dive into the crazy called strike call that ended the Atlanta Braves and Boston Red Sox Grapefruit League opener on Saturday. That was a 6-6 tie. It's one of the most bizarre things. I've watched a lot of baseball, as you might imagine, with somebody who hosts a baseball show on the weekends here and has had a baseball show for about the last 10 years. And uh, even in the minor leagues, I can't say I ever saw anything quite like what I saw on Saturday. Those new rules for the pitch clock, they don't just govern the pitcher, they also govern the batter. And we found out with the bases loaded, two outs and a full count with a call third strike on Atlanta Braves prospect Cal Conley, who is going to go down in, I guess, whatever trivia book that you keep these kind of things in as the first batter who was significantly punished by the called strike. And so 6-6 tie in that Grapefruit League opener, 7-0 a loss to the Yankees on Sunday. Braves got one hit in that one, Sam Hilliard, with the only base hit, and uh, appropriately on a day where you only get one hit, he was caught stealing, and that, of course, was the Braves' offense. And not a very exciting game, a grand slam home run off Bryce Elder. The first four batters reached against him before Jose Trevino left the yard, and the Yankees won that one running away and those the first couple of games and it's going to be less about the scores and more about what these guys are showing you for Bryce Elder every start every inning every appearance is going to be important not just those numbers but what he's able to show the Braves if he wants to jump up and grab the fifth spot in the Atlanta rotation of course we know there are a lot of spring training stories to discuss for the different position battles in camp I don't think there's a bigger one to be honest with you than shortstop that's been the one we've talked about all winter long 
that is the one I think the people have the most questions about. Is Vaughn Grissom going to be able to step in and step up and take over that mantle? I got a chance to talk to Vaughn while I was down at spring training along with all the other media as he kind of addressed for the, I don't know, umpteenth time over the course of the winter. I mean, a lot. He certainly had to talk about it. You know, stepping in for somebody who'd been a franchise fixture like Dansby Swanson. I love this kid's focus. It's not about trying to replace somebody, be the next somebody. It's really not about trying to be anybody else other than who he is. And if you really think about it, he hasn't had the opportunity to show that at his chosen position. He came up and played second base out of necessity last year, jumping up from double A. And he did a very nice job, I think. I mean, there were some ups and downs, which young players will go through. However, I do think that at shortstop, he gets an opportunity to maybe get into the place where he's most comfortable. And if he's able to show you something with the bat and make the plays, he has a chance to be the Braves shortstop in what could be a situation in which all the pressure's not on him because this is a well-constructed club. It does not have to be the Vaughn Grissom show. And that is something I'm going to talk about a little bit later with one of my guests on the show. Nick Green of Bally Sports South is going to join me. Nick has played a lot more infield in the major leagues than I ever did. And he's been over at Bally Sports for quite some time. Good friend of the show. And he's going to give a lot of insight on what exactly Vaughn Grissom is going through as he tries to make this change over from second base back to shortstop at the big league level and really carve out his path as a big league player altogether. That fifth starter spot, as I talked about, we're going to get some clarity on that this spring. Bryce Elder was in action, the first of the big candidates for this, but some of those guys in the mix we're going to hear from on this show, including Ian Anderson, as well as Michael Soroka. Of course, the newly dubbed Michael Soroka, I think it's still okay to call him Mike, but there was a bit of a name change, at least for his locker nameplate, if nothing else. Uh, that was quite a little story, but really the focus for Mike, all jokes aside, or Michael, if you prefer, is getting healthy and getting back on the mound. He's already had one injury setback. It doesn't sound major. Again, we're going to hear from him coming up here on From the Diamond on 92.9 The Game, just being healthy for him, whatever which way you look at it. And I think he's learned an awful lot uh, through this journey, and I think it's going to be interesting to watch how he's able to write his comeback story. And for Ian Anderson, who was a big part of the Braves' success a couple of years ago and winning the World Series, how was he able to bounce back from what was really a lost year for him that saw him end up in the minor leagues and hurt by the end of it so we'll talk about both of those guys. We'll hear from both of those guys. And you'll also hear from Braves manager Brian Snitker, who I sat down with on my trip to Northport this past week. A lot to get into on this show. Also, a visit with A.J. Minter, a visit with Matt Olson. We have so much coming up here on this From the Diamond. When we come back, we're going to get into that fifth starter battle. We're going to hear from two of those candidates. Again, I caught up with Michael Soroka and Ian Anderson to discuss what exactly they're looking to prove this spring training. And you're going to hear about that next right here on From the Diamond on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Take a look around the league with more of our From the Diamond with Graham McCauley on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. And welcome back in. This is From the Diamond. I am Grant McCauley. This is Sports Radio 92.9 The Game, live from the Kia Studios here on a Sunday evening for a couple of hours of Braves and baseball talk. Mostly Braves, though. I'm going to be honest with you here as we get ready for Atlanta Braves season. But as we go throughout the, again, spring, summer, and fall, you can expect a lot of MLB talk on this show as well. There will be some talk about MLB's rules changes on this show, but we're going to save that for a little bit later. As I talked about in the open of the show, there's a lot of positional battles that are going on in Braves spring training. One of the most important ones is for the final spot in the Atlanta Braves rotation. And we knew that the Braves still had some pitching depth, even though they went out and used a couple of their prospects in the Sean Murphy trade. So they brought over a nice new catcher, Gold Glover. And I think that's somebody who's going to make a big impact on the Braves team and the Braves pitching staff as well. But you knew that there was in-house some possibility. But there was always the tantalizing idea of, 
Are the Braves going to go out there and spend some money in free agency? Or are they going to go out and sign another starting pitcher? The answer to that ended up being no. And could the Braves look to upgrade in season? Yes, but that's so far down the road because they're looking at what they've got in-house. And I think they've got reasons to feel good about the candidates that are on the roster right now. One of those is Michael Soroka. This is a guy that we have not seen much of on the mound in the last three years. His last start in the major leagues happened August the 3rd, 2020. That's when he tore his Achilles for the first time as he got into his rehab, and it looked like he might be nearing a return. He ended up tearing it a second time. We all, I think, know the story of Soroka right now, and unfortunately it's been one of injury, frustration, but hopefully as you look at the long road to get back to the big leagues, which again is something that we're hoping to see happen because of what this guy was before he got hurt, it's going to be a story that does have a good ending, and it allows a 25-year-old pitcher to resume his career. That's a crazy thing to think about. He has missed two full seasons and most of the 2020 shortened season. He only made three starts. He's still only 25 years old, which really could underscore the great success that he had early on in his career, becoming an all-star and cementing himself as what looked to be one of the Braves' great starters for perhaps the rest of this decade. That story has not played out the way that he wants to. And Mike Soroka, Michael Soroka, is very familiar with having to be resilient and having to overcome setbacks. And unfortunately, he had a setback immediately before reporting to camp. He was throwing with former Brave Darren O'Day and just doing some light work before driving down to Florida and felt some hamstring tightness. So he went ahead and formed the club. And with some time to go in spring training, they're going to give that uh, all the time that it needs to clear up before he's going to jump onto a mound. But let's hear from Michael Soroka about how he's feeling following that hamstring injury and just where he is as spring training camp got started. I'm doing good. Yeah, it was kind of an unfortunate situation, just kind of doing dry work before camp. It was actually the day before I drove down and uh, felt a little grab and decided we weren't going to push it here early in camp now that we have a full six weeks. And, um, yeah, hopefully should be getting back out there pretty soon. Now, I was able to see Michael Soroka out throwing before I came back from Northport earlier in the week, and that was a good sign to see him in uniform and throwing a baseball, even if he's not getting off the mound just yet. At least he was making some progress, and I know that's something that every little step, no pun intended, is a big step, an important one for Michael. So clearly, as you deal with a twice-torn Achilles and the two years that it took you to get back on a mound last year in the minor leagues, there are going to be some frustrations that come with that. Uh, let's hear from Soroka on where exactly he was mentally following this latest little injury scare. It's a kick in the groin. Honestly, when it happened, I was pretty worried. I was pretty scared because I know, you know, sometimes hamstrings, can be a little temperamental, but uh, fortunately it's, it's turned around pretty quick. So, uh, yeah, pretty frustrating, especially given, you know, the early off season for me just to be able to get ready for this, this spring training. Uh, and then coming down uh, with that was uh, not fun, but it's how it goes. And uh, we'll be uh, moving forward here pretty shortly. Now, shortly could be here in the next few days. It's hopefully at some point in the month of March that he's going to have time to make those all-important exhibition starts. Because if he can't make those starts in Grapefruit League play, then quite clearly the Braves are going to have to get him his work at AAA Gwinnett. But that's not how he's allowing himself to think. Those are just, I think, maybe some of the programming that we have that goes with it because until you can see him get back on that major league mound, you kind of just have to continue to, to wonder, to hope, to keep your fingers crossed, but to try to temper your expectations. Now, as far as the timetable is concerned, Soroka was able to share a little bit about that, even if he doesn't have an exact date. Obviously, it's going to be a little bit of a crunch time once we get back on the mound and stuff like that, but hopefully that's pretty soon here. We haven't really talked about that yet, but we're playing catch. We're, we're keeping the arm going, so that won't take too long to come back. It's just going to be as soon as I'm running again and stuff like that, which, again, shouldn't be too long from now. So um, once we get there, it'll be go time. 
running is going to be a big thing for Mike Soroka because then he gets to be, as he described it, an athlete again. He gets to just kind of flow around and do everything without having to think about injuries, setbacks, or any other worries that he's had over the last couple of years because, let's face it, it's quite a journey when you are an athlete who isn't able to play your chosen sport for not one but two full seasons. He was able to get some minor league starts, and we'll talk about that in a moment. Soroka discussed his mindset during this very long road towards a return. Best case scenario, of course, is, you know, everything comes out really clean right away and we're off to the races, but obviously it's, it's a bit of a process. Um, you know, that's, that's expectations for myself are always going to be the highest, and I think understanding that wanting to be out there is exactly where I need to be. It's time to compete, right? I need to go out there and, and play baseball. I miss it, right? So um, that's number one, but I understand that this is a process that takes a little while for some guys. You know, a lot of guys go through this at different times. Talked to Strider quite a bit, and he went through a lot of this in uh, 2019, 2020. So, um, you know, it is, and, and it'll get there one day, and I, I know it will. It's just a matter of keeping the nose down, keep keep working, and uh, see what happens. And Soroka should know all about that at this point. If you're curious, the clubhouse music was courtesy of Jesse Chavez, who was DJing that morning for uh, the media availability that we had on the first day that the entire team was there when, when uh, position players had reported and we had everybody out there. And that was the first time that we really got a chance to talk with Michael Soroka. And I do think that he's got a great head on his shoulders about all of this. And I, I guess at this point, you really have no choice but to try to trust the process and do all of the things that we hear people say, control the controllables and to try to you know celebrate the little victories that you have along the way. But to be this tantalizingly close to that comeback, to have at least gotten that time in the minor leagues last year, which we'll talk about in just a moment, I think that had him a little bit more hyped up, but again, governing his emotions and trying to regulate those, but a little bit more hyped up for this spring than, say, where he was a year ago. I asked Mike about these minor league starts he made last year, half a dozen of them, and this is what he had to say about the importance of just getting those innings under his belt so that he went into the offseason and came back in the spring feeling like he wasn't kind of starting from ground zero. Yeah, it was awesome. I mean, that was what I needed. We talked about that. Uh, when we started dealing with a couple issues is I wanted to, to fight through those to be able to get innings last year because, you know, there are a lot of things competitively that you don't necessarily forget about, but you forget about the intensity of being in competition, what it's like to make quick decisions on the fly, especially with the pitch clock in the minor leagues, which was good to feel. You know, I'm not coming into a new situation in that as well. So, yeah, there was, there was tons of things that were kind of good little reminders last year that are going to be good for being able to compete in spring this year. That's kind of a fun little caveat for Soroka. I know that you know pitching with a pitch clock is not something he couldn't do, but just in being able to get back last year, and it was in use in the minor leagues, he was able to pitch with it some at AAA Gwinnett. So just a little bit of a something that, for Caden's sake, he's able to take a little bit of that experience and move it forward. And again, not feel like, you know, hey, August the 3rd, 2020 is the last time that I did this, and, you know, am I going to be coming back and doing it at the big league level? I mean, there's quite possibly, had he not been able to make those minor league rehab starts, he could be coming into this spring training just trying to win that job outright. But as it was, a little bit of experience I think goes a long way. And when it comes to the experience on this long road all the way back, Soroka talked about what he's taken from all of it and what adversity has taught him. I think you learn resilience. I think that's a big one, and, and I think everybody does at a certain point when they go through a lot of this stuff is you learn what you're really capable of doing on a daily basis when you have to, right? Like, that's this, this is my life. This is what I want to do. And um, you know the price. The price to do that, I'll pay it over again if I have to. So I think you, you learn what it's like to just have to put your head down and work and, and put the day to day ahead of you know what you're looking forward to be doing in a year from now or even five years from now. I think it's it's important. So um, yeah, learn 
just good good work on a daily basis adds up and we'll see where we're at now hopefully we'll be finding that out very soon where exactly he's at and when he's able to get back out on the mound so great to catch up with michael soroka when i was down in northport as we continue here on From the Diamond on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game and talk about the Braves' fifth starters competition, if you will, and it's between a couple of friends because Soroka and this man, Ian Anderson, are actually best friends on this team, which is funny because they did not pitch together in the minor leagues and they haven't yet had a chance to pitch in a rotation and truly be teammates at the big league level. But these guys have worked out in the offseason. Soroka is staying at the Anderson residence down in Florida for spring training, and then they're going to go out and try to win basically the same job. And I think that talking to both of these guys, you know that they're aware that it takes more than five starting pitchers to make it through a Major League Baseball season. The Braves used 11 starters last year. There's a very good chance that both of these guys are going to get an opportunity at some point, even though this rotation, I think, is an overall strength for this club. And how could it not be when you're talking about Max Fried, Spencer Strider, Kyle Wright, and, of course, Charlie Morton? You've got four starters you should feel a high degree of confidence in, and then backed up by a very good bullpen. The fifth starter spot is really kind of the key positional battle for this pitching staff, but we are going to see many, many more arms than the guys who break camp with his club on March the 30th. And one of those guys vying for a spot, one that he held for quite some time, is Ian Anderson. I've caught up with him in Northport to talk about where he is coming off this offseason and what he's hoping to prove here in spring training. Here with Ian Anderson, we've had a, about a week or so to get ready for spring training, but I'm sure that uh, it's been on your mind throughout the course of the winter as you've been looking to get healthy and make some changes and get yourself ready for 2023. How would you kind of assess coming to camp, getting to work, and obviously Grapefruit League games right around the corner? Yeah, I feel like I'm in a good spot. Um, you know, last year didn't go how I wanted to, but I think it was a, a reset in a, in a way. So I had a good off season down here in Florida and uh, just kind of transitioned right into camp, and it's uh, it's been good so far. You learn from the adversity because talking to Snit, and obviously, you know, everybody goes through their ups and downs and makes those adjustments. This game is full of those. But yeah. what do you feel like that adversity can do for you at the big league level as you come back and try to make those adjustments and get back where you were, or maybe even better? Yeah, I mean, I think the, one of the biggest things you learn is that, you know, things go on without you, and that can be a real reality check. So, um, yeah, it just, you know, it, it kind of lit the fire under me again. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm excited to kind of get back and, and show what I can do. You pitch like a changeup. It's a devastating out pitch. It's a pitch that you've been able to have a lot of success with. But in looking at your arsenal over the winter, it seems like working on maybe another breaking ball was something that would be pretty beneficial. So you got a slider that you're kind of working on. How has yeah. that gone? And yeah, how you get the feel for uh, it? It's been something that you know I've been kicking around for the last year or two. So uh, I think it was finally time to kind of commit to it. And you know I think just something going away from righties is going to kind of open up the changeup a little bit more. And you know, I think it plays pretty well into my repertoire. So I feel like I have a pretty good feel for it. So uh, it's just going to be a matter of getting in games with it, getting a little more comfortable with it. If I remember right, in 2020, I talked to you before that season got started. And the story you told was that this changeup was a pitch that you kind of found that you didn't really throw in high school, that once you became a pro, you really found it. What was the secret behind unlocking what has been a very useful pitch for you? I don't know. That one came pretty quickly to me. And I think just having success with it, seeing swings and misses, seeing good results kind of just gave me more confidence to, to keep running with it. So, you know, I think the slider could be similar, you know, just see some good results, feel good coming out of the hand, and I, I think it'll kind of take off. Yeah, well, as you mentioned, you know, spring training, life did go on and does go on throughout the course of the yeah. season without different players at different times. But the opportunity is right out there in front of you to jump back into this rotation. What's the focus as you head into exhibition starts? Yeah, just uh, I think the biggest thing is just kind of keep my head down, focus on what I can do, what I can show, what I can control, and uh, you know, just try to go out there and prove myself. 
Well, I appreciate the time. Good luck with everything. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. As you look at Ian Anderson, his first 30 games started when he came up in 2020 and into 2021. This guy went 12-7 and seven with a 325 ERA, 160 and two-thirds innings with 165 strikeouts. And last year was a huge step back, 10-6 and six with an ERA of 5 and 22 starts and less than a strikeout per inning. And the walks were uh, obviously troublesome for him. The command was an overall problem. But if you're looking for reasons why the Braves and really any team shouldn't be looking to give up on a pitcher like Ian Anderson, how about that 4-0 postseason record with a 126 ERA? In eight starts. The Braves know that it's in there. Ian Anderson, I think, knows that it's in there and is looking to find his way back with a new pitch. That slider. We'll be seeing that in exhibition action. We got lots more to get to. I just got back down from Florida, as I mentioned, where I got my first look at Cool Today Park, that entire facility. I also caught up with Braves manager Brian Snitker. You're going to hear my chat with him next, right here on From the Diamond on Sports Radio 929 The Game. Take a look around the league with more of our From the Diamond with Grant McCulley on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. And welcome back in. This is From the Diamond. I am Grant McCauley. This is Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. From the Kia Studios here in Midtown, talking some brave spring training with you as we get you set for what should hopefully be another march towards October for the Atlanta Braves. First big step is showing up for spring training. Next big step, playing some exhibition games. Braves have managed to check both of those boxes and they've got quite a few more exhibitions left before opening day and then 162 games, which is the opportunity to win the National League East for the sixth consecutive year. That's on the goal sheet for the Braves as well. But, of course, we all knew that because the Braves have done it for five straight years. It seems to be the step that the team is always looking to take is to punch their ticket, control their destiny, do all those things. And that starts with that NLE's battle, which should be a good one this year, as we well know, with all the improvements that both the Mets and the Phillies have made. Speaking of improvements, the Braves a few years ago made some rather large improvements down in Florida to their spring training situation when they moved from Disney, which if you have worked there as a media professional or I'm sure as a player and had to spend five, six, seven weeks in the Disney craziness, it is not a vacation. If you've gone as a fan, I totally understand why you really enjoyed yourself in Disney, but I think that the Braves enjoyed that opportunity to kind of start to separate themselves and build and craft the kind of facility that allows them to do exactly what they're down there doing now, and that is working. They wanted to have a place that would just invite players to go ahead, show up, and enjoy themselves and get to work as early as possible and have all of the facilities to do it. And they most certainly have that. And as I got down there uh, to Northport to get my first look at it, you would not know that Hurricane Ian had rolled through there in that facility because $10 million worth of damage was what was reportedly the estimate for the Braves. But Mike Dunn, who runs that complex, used to be the GM up at Rome. So I've known Mike for a number of years. He did a terrific job getting everything back the way that it needed to be in what was a very quick turnaround. And if you looked around in the Charlotte County area, Northport area, it was uh, pretty rough, I'm sure, at the time and has been a slow rebuild for a lot of folks down there. So the Braves were able to really turn this thing around uh, quite quickly and at a very hefty price tag. But everything was looking like uh, nothing had ever happened. And Brian Snitker told me that that's what the goal was when they got down there to camp was, hey, We want people to show up for that first game and not know that anything had gone on here that wasn't supposed to have or was just kind of unforeseen. Of course, that storm was not the same for the Tampa Bay Rays, who have their home in Port Charlotte. I went by there, and they may not be back there, certainly not this year. They're training in Orlando, where the Braves used to do spring training, and they may not be back next year because the county has to figure out how to fund that ballpark but the Braves find themselves in a much better situation overall. That facility is terrific. If you are a Braves fan looking for something to do in late February or throughout the month of March, I highly recommend heading down there to get a look at what spring training is. 
the players, a lot of them, got to look at it pretty early because nearly the entire squad was already there several days before the required report dates. I think position players, there might have been about half a dozen that showed up on the day to report, which, by the way, is not a story in and of itself. That's the required report day. As long as they get there by then, no worries whatsoever. But the fact that there's a lot of excitement around this club for so many players to show up early, I think just kind of speaks to the overall drive that this Braves club certainly has. And the work, of course, it began immediately. It was on the backfields, the bullpens, the pitch clocks were out the very first day. I thought that was pretty fascinating. And as we found out in the very first spring training game, there's a good reason that those clocks were out there because they are going to be front and center as all of these players get used to. And this is you know, pitchers and batters and umpires and coaches and everybody and the fans, of course, uh, what exactly the pitch clock is going to mean for this club. So all of that stuff has been going on. But the Braves, when I talked to Brian Snitker on Wednesday, had just done their first live batting practice. You might remember a little video that I tweeted out on Wednesday of uh, Ronald Acuna Jr., hitting, I would assume, a 400-plus-foot homer out to left center field off Max Freed. It is worth noting, for the record, Freed did strike him out the first time up, but fun watching those two guys square off because you don't usually see that kind of thing. But it wasn't just Freed. It was also Spencer Strider. Kirby Yates was throwing. You had Ronald Acuna Jr. at Ozzie Albies in the batter's box. A lot of fun was had on that day. But it was on that Wednesday I was able to sit down and have my chat with Braves manager Brian Snitker to talk to him about all the goings-on in Braves spring training. Here it is. Pleased to be joined by Braves manager Brian Snitker here in Northport. And we've had a lot of activity over the last week and a half. I know you've been looking forward to this all winter long. you got the full squad here. The workouts have commenced. And some live batting practice seemed to be the talk of the day here in the second. Yeah, it was. It was good to put everything uh, into use. You know, we had the, the pitch clocks going and the hitters in the batter's box. And, um, you know, it's always good to, for those the, for the pitchers to, to face a live hitter, too. I mean, they've been throwing sides and and doing all their drills and everything like that. So it's good to kind of, the way we set this thing up, it's kind of like a simulated game. So that, that was really good today. Yes, we've talked to you throughout the course of spring training. You know, Having all of this time to get used to the little intricacies that are going to go with all these rules changes is going to be a big focus, I'm sure, this spring. It seemed to be a big focus during this live batting practice. If you look at the pitchers and their adjustment, the hitters and their adjustment, do you think both groups are going to equally have their own challenges? Yeah, they're going to, you know, it's going to be different for both sides, obviously, and us all also here in the dugout, but um, you know, it, I say it's it's a rule. We're going to have to adjust to it. We adjust to everything else. I mean, we're really good at adjusting. I think in this yeah. sport, and you better be. And yeah. you know, we talked about the three batter minimum a few years ago, and and uh, man, that's going to be so different and all that. Now we do it, and don't even think twice about it. Um, but I, it's, I said, I'm, I'm glad we're we're starting on Saturday. Actually, we've started today, and in our first, and we'll do it again tomorrow with our our live batting practices, where guys can get that feel and. Watch Watch the clock and and um, become accustomed to it. Well, let's talk a little bit about this team because as you bring this squad back, 101 wins last year, another National League East title. I know that the march towards October always seems to go through the division. Why is that so much of a priority for you guys? I mean, it's obvious you punch your ticket for the postseason, but winning the division seems to be a real point of pride for this Braves team. Well, it is, and, and it's what we come here for. I mean, in my speech yesterday, until you check that box, you don't give yourself a chance to do something special. And um, that, that's our goal, not to get to not to be in a wild card. Ours is to win the division, and um, that's kind of what we're looking why we're working down here and I tell the guys why we work on fundamentals and why we pay you know strict attention to detail and and things like that because our number one goal is to win that uh, a very tough National League East so um, I say when you when you do that you give yourself an opportunity to do something special like we did last year things don't always go your way when you get in but in, until you punch that ticket like you say or or check that box you don't have that opportunity. 
Well, this is such a well-constructed club. I think that the hallmark of the Braves for such a long time has been the pitching, the depth of the pitching, the quality of that depth. You've got an outstanding starting rotation, Max Fried kind of at the head of that, but Charlie Morton, Spencer Strider, Kyle Wright, and then a great competition for this fifth spot. You have to be pretty excited from where you're sitting to have that kind of pitching depth. No, it is, and you need it. I, I told the guy, we used 11 starters last year. We used 29 pitchers, not counting Arcia. And um, so, you know, you need that depth. And, and that, that pitching, you know, you, I say at the end of the year, you look at the the league leaders in offense, and not all those teams at the top are in the playoffs. But you look at the the pitching, um, and probably the top six teams are in the playoffs. So um, we're you know very aware of our pitching. I think Alex has done a great job of giving us that depth, um, and you know to go along with that to make that pitching good. We we work very hard on on catching the ball. So um, I think we we do a very good job. We're one of the tops in defense uh, defensive teams also. So you know all, all that goes hand in hand but it all you know everything revolves around that mound out there yeah speaking of catching sean murphy coming over in the offseason getting an opportunity to start working with the staff catching bullpens live batting practice all of these kinds of things it seems like he truly is the the complete package when you talk about how you would draw up the ideal catcher to add to your club no he's what they look like that's for sure and, and he's very invested in the pitching end of it which is good and i think having a guy like travis darno in his in, you know with him all the time and you know travis knows all these guys inside and out and he can be be a great resource for Sean um, but you, you know and I think that's one of the things that made him very attractive to us is the fact that that um, he's invested in that pitching and, and can be a big part of that so all the other stuff you know he's one of the better throwers in the league he's got great power um, just a great all-around player we're very fortunate to have him couple of positions I'm sure you're going to be evaluating, especially with games starting here this weekend, beginning with Boston on Saturday. Shortstop, we've talked all winter long about the opportunity for Vaughn Grissom. You've got Orlando Arce. You've got some other guys that could come in, maybe get on the radar at least in spring training. What have you need to? What have you seen from Vaughn Grissom, and what do you need to see when you start evaluating in games? Yeah, well, I mean, it's, he's worked very hard this winter, and, and the kid, he's going to always work hard. I mean, he's a very dedicated young man. He's very driven. He loves to play baseball. He's got great energy about him, um, and really, and great skills so um, you, you know what we just want to see what it looks like you know it's, it's kind of like the eye test once the games start and and um, you see these guys there is competition that's what we have or what we're going to base it on is this spring training so we'll make our decisions in another month or so and and um, see where it's at but it's I think there's nothing wrong with competition and I'm excited about watching all those guys play you got a lot of competition out in the outfield. I think one of the key components of this, though, is going to be a bounce-back year from Eddie Rosario. 2022 was far from anything that you guys wanted or that Eddie wanted to go through last year. I'm sure that having him back and seeing the ball well and playing a role on this team is going to be pretty critical. It could be, you know, we've seen, you know, how important he can be to our club, and it was. I, and I hated for him because he tried to gut it through, you know, gut through the vision problems, and, and that's real. I mean, in baseball, if your vision's off just a little bit, it's a major thing, yeah. and, and um, you know, those back the ball skills that Eddie's been noted for weren't around but right now already in this spring training he's looked really good he's working really hard I'm kind of glad he's going to go play in the uh, WBC and and get those you know the real at bats that he I think it'll be good for him so um Eddie's a really, really good player, and it'd be great if he could come out here and you know not do anything more than what he's capable. Because when he's doing that, he's a really good player. A lot of veterans brought into camp as far as outfield options are concerned, whether it's Sam Hilliard, Kevin Pillar, Jordan Luplo, Eli White. I mean, a lot of these guys seem to bring a lot of different skills that could really round out this ball club, whether they platoon or play a role off the bench. No, they do. I mean, they they all have uh, you know they all run really well. They're really good defensive outfielders. 
Um, and I say that's, you know, some one of the competitions there is we'll see what they look like, how they fit in. Um, again, the eye test when, when we run them out there. So um, I'm anxious to get going. Like I say, there's a lot of competition, a lot of guys that are vying for that one spot. And, and um, we'll just, you know, that's why we're going to go play all these games and see how it shakes out. One spot you have to like a lot is your center fielder, Michael Harris. And, man, he looks like he was at work all winter long, came back into the spring. Not that he has really anything to prove in year two, but, you know, this is as good as you can, I think, look coming to camp as a 22-year-old looking to follow up on a Rookie of the Year campaign. No, I mean, he's a, a driven kid too i mean i just you have to like what we've seen out of him already in the spring and we know his talent you know skill set and um, what he brings and it's it's he can you know he can make he can turn a game around either in the field or at the plate so we're really excited about what the, this second year for michael's going to bring and and um he just he definitely as he did um last year makes us better when he's out there well, let me wrap it up with this a two for one question for you last year ronald had to gut his way through the knee and it was problematic i would imagine at times, you know, ups and downs throughout the season. And of course, Ozzie Albies missed half the year with a couple of injuries. Just how big of an impact can it make to have a truer version of both of those guys contributing to this club this year? Well, it's awesome. I mean, as we've seen, the energy they bring and, and that joy they have when they play the game. And I know Ozzie is so excited. I said nobody wanted to get their cleats dirty any more than Ozzie when we got down here. And, and um, you know, and Ronald had a, a normal offseason. He wasn't rehabbing. He comes into camp. He looks great. He feels really good. So, you know what? We have those two guys healthy. It, it could be a huge, huge plus for us in our lineup. Thank you so much for the time. I appreciate it and look forward to catching up with you throughout the year. All right. Thanks, Grant. That's Braves manager Brian Snitker. Really appreciate him making some time for me on my trip down to Northport this past week. Again, I was able to catch up with him on a Wednesday, and you can, of course, find that full interview and all the great stuff on this show wherever you get your podcast. Just search for From the Diamond there, and if you need links to it, fromthediamond.com, the place to go to that. But a couple of things I took away from that chat is I think when he says he looks forward to the competition at shortstop, yeah, he's excited, just like we all are, to see Vaughn Grissom go out there and show you what he can do. But He's also looking to see what Orlando Arcia can show him. He's looking to see what Braden Shoemake can show him. That's kind of a dark horse name to keep an eye on, at least at the maybe the AAA level, of somebody that could factor in at some point for the Braves this year. But always great to catch up with Snit and get his thoughts on what should be an interesting Grapefruit League campaign and, of course, the March to opening day, which is on March the 30th against the Washington Nationals. So with that in mind, we have had a couple of Grapefruit League games. We've gotten a good look at something that a lot of us are going to take a little bit of time to get used to. That would be the pitch clock, how it's enforced, and the fact that it's not just for the pitchers. Apparently, it's for the batters. What do I mean? We'll discuss as From the Diamond continues right here on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. All right, play ball! Your place for all things MLB and our Braves. This is From the Diamond on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Hey, Grant McCauley with you. Sports Radio 92.9 The Game from the Diamond from the Kia Studios here in Midtown. We begin Hour 2 with what I think is going to be probably the most ridiculous conversation that we're going to have on the show. Hopefully, we're not going to have this conversation too terribly many times, but I would imagine that it is going to be possible. And I think you already know of what I speak, and that, of course, is MLB's rules changes and the adjustment period that it's going to take for players, for umpires, for coaches, for fans, for uh, basically anybody that uh, the game of baseball is uh, connected to them to really start to understand, come to grips with, hopefully adjust, and maybe it gets to the point where we're just not thinking about it. But I can tell you, I was among the many people who was thinking about it quite a lot after Saturday's Braves game. Yes, it was an exhibition game, which in the record books is meaningless. 
is not about the win. It's not about the loss. I guess sometimes it's about maybe the way you lose or the way you win, and that, of, of course, is a topic for another show because, again, I do want to underscore it was an exhibition game, so I really am not as concerned about the W or the L, but I am a little bit concerned about how exactly MLB's rules changes are going to affect key situations in games that do count. So on Saturday, if you did somehow miss this and have not heard a lot about it yet, uh, allow me to fill you in. There are a lot of rules changes that are coming to Major League Baseball in 2023, and they're being tested out in Grapefruit League play. All 30 clubs have also been testing them out on their backfields and anywhere else in practice that they can to get their pitchers used to this new pitch clock. 15 seconds with the base is clear, 20 seconds to throw a pitch, with a runner on base. A pitcher can step off twice during an at-bat. A batter can call time once during at-bat. But what we discovered is there's a little bit more nuance than just those things I just laid out, and it can, in fact, happen at the worst possible time. Uh, Braves and Red Sox tied up 6-6. Atlanta had scored three runs to tie this game. Two outs, bases loaded, full count, bottom of the ninth inning. Cal Conley at the plate for Atlanta. This was the call courtesy of Nesson. Uh-oh. And now what? He's out. They have called strike three. Wow. This is mayhem. Oh. Automatic strike three called with the bases loaded in a tie game in the bottom of the ninth. This is baseball in 2023. Some booze ring out here in Northport, Florida. All right. So you got the clock up. Here it is. He did not get set. He was not alert. He thought that it was going his way. He thought it was ball four, game over. Instead, see that look in his eye. <laughs> I wasn't alert in time. And he's punched out. And that's it. The game's over. We got a tie. It's at eight seconds. He has to be alert to the pitcher. Yeah, and Two he's... feet in the box, head looking at the pitcher. All right, so he did have two feet in the box, but Cal Conley was waiting on the pitcher, waiting on the catcher, it seemed like, to get set and to go through their whole pitch comm routine. The catcher was still standing behind him, uh, but the umpire came right out from behind the plate, pointed at the batter who had tapped the plate a couple of times and looked down, wasn't looking at the pitcher. So he wasn't alert to the pitcher. That has to happen at the eight-second mark in the at-bat. Now, I understand in some way, shape, or form why there is a little bit of that nuance. And one of the things would probably be with this pitch clock to make sure that a batter is paying attention and doesn't get beamed in the head because that is one of the things that could happen. We see it happen, and it's always scary, and it's never something that you want to create a scenario in which that could happen more times than it already does. Because, again, scary. We want everybody to be safe. But I kind of had thought, and I was using spring training like everyone else, to learn how this thing went and to kind of live through the experience and, and, and learn the nuances. I did not know about eight-second batter must be alert looking at the pitcher with two feet in the box and giving him great eye contact. I, people will pay a lot of money for eye contact, apparently, and Major League Baseball really, really wants it. So, Dom, you've been my producer on this show yes. for a long time. Mm -hmm. We've talked about baseball for quite a while. Right. I have seen more baseball than most people will ever see in their life. I've mm -hmm. never seen anything like this. As a fan of the game and right. wanting to find ways to speed it up, I mean, when you look at a situation like this, do you think that that kind of thing, were it to happen in a regular season game, is really in the best interest of competition? Not at all. I was going to say, this is absolutely one of those situations where, like, MLB, you're doing a little too much. I like the idea of the pitch clock. I think it's great. Right. 
But this whole like, oh, by eight seconds, you need to have your feet in the box and you need to be having staring the pitcher in his <laughs> right. eyes, like making eye contact. Uh, that to me is ridiculous. Now, spring training. Yep. Can't say it enough. <laughs> it's spring training, <laughs> right? If you're MLB, you're happy this happened now. Yes. If you're going to learn this lesson, this was the scenario and Absolutely. the kind of game in which you would want to learn it. But I kind of felt like maybe we were going to treat this 15-second pitch clock with nobody on and 20 mm-hmm. seconds with runners on like a shot clock in, yeah. in basketball. Like Everybody's aware that, hey, the ball yeah. is in play. All right, anybody could take a shot from conceivably anywhere. If somebody wanted to yeah. pull up and lob it from half court, they certainly could. You just need to be aware that action is happening, that the ball could mm-hmm. be moving at any given time. I was a little bit surprised to see this level of rule, like down to this kind of uh, yeah. litigious detail. It's just very nitpicky. And to be called in a situation like that, a lot of people said, oh, well, that'll never happen. Now, I've watched a lot of minor league baseball, and I know that the pitch clock was in play last year, the few games I went to. I'll be honest, I didn't really notice it. Nobody got called for a, a pitch clock violation, which is you know an automatic ball to the pitcher if he doesn't get the pitch off in time, an automatic strike to the hitter if he's not aware and alert, I guess, apparently, or an automatic balk will be in place if you throw over too many times and don't get the runner, or if you step off too many times and don't get the runner. We could get lost over the last hour trying to make sense of all the hypotheticals and the things that could happen with this rule, but in talking to a couple of my minor league friends in particular, Dave Lazat, who's done play-by-play for the Gwinnett Stripers for a number of years now, and I've known Dave for a long time, you know, he replied to my tweet, which was like, what a brutal finish. And it was a brutal finish. Yeah. I ne- Again, <laughs> have never seen anything like it. Yeah. And Dave said it was a rocky start for us last year, and there were a lot of violations that were called early on. But after about six weeks, everybody made the adjustment, and it mm-hmm. seemed to become a lot less of the focus. Right. And I know that people have been joking about the shot clock in the NBA. Oh, you don't like this pitch clock, huh? I bet you didn't like the shot clock coming into the NBA I don't know that they're exactly the same thing. I just that's, thought they might be a little more similar. Yeah, those are two completely different situations with a shot clock in the NBA and a pitch clock in MLB. Again, it's just, why is it so nitpicky? I think there's got to be some situational awareness. Yeah. Not that, and i tell you this, you give athletes in any sport the opportunity to subvert a rule or regulation that they know they can get away with. Absolutely. And trust me when I tell you, and I don't even have to bring up the, the kind of baseball things that have happened, <laughs> when somebody can take advantage of something, they will find a way it's, to do it. It's what you do. It's human nature. Right. We are habitual line steppers. We and try yes. and find loopholes <laughs> everywhere we possibly can. What do they always say? If you're not cheating, you're not trying, right? That's what Eddie Guerrero said, but I don't know if you can live your life by that moniker, particularly <laughs> in a sport in which, you know, people what the definition of cheating is has been challenged in the last, what, four to five years in Major (laughs) League Baseball. And I'm going to leave that one right there without bringing up any teams that might have uh, won a World Series by doing that. But putting that aside, Cal Conley, who was the Braves batsman who had that called third strike on him, said this, the umpire said I was looking down. I was looking down at the catcher. He was still standing up, not really sure if the pitcher was ready to go. Catcher definitely wasn't. I certainly think that that it should be some kind of factor. Brian Snitker had this to say afterwards. Uh, we've we've got to forget about what the catcher's doing. You have to be attentive to the pitcher like the rule says, and that's distracting. And it's something that, heck, we might try it. I don't think they were intentionally trying to do it, but it worked. But when I tell you that they will try to game the system a little bit, mm-hmm. having the catcher standing up, I mean, Johnny Bench did this yeah. back in the 70s, you know, when you and I were growing up watching all our baseball <laughs> as kids. Right. But Johnny Bench did this, and I love seeing this highlight. He would stand up like he was going to, hey, it's a three-ball count. We're going to do an intentional walk here. And the hitter's like, oh, cool, free walk. And he's thinking ball four is going to sail outside. Bench crouches back down, takes that third strike, and the inning's over. And the hitter's just standing there feeling like, man, I just got taken advantage of. 
I'm not saying that that's in the, in the whole you know, equation here because yeah. we don't even throw intentional pitch walk or, mm-hmm. uh, pitches for intentional walks anymore. Yeah. But this is just one of the most bizarre things I've seen. And again, I don't know how long we're going to be talking about it all season, but there are going to be times and there are going to be instances, and we learned it on day one, in which this new rule is going to kind of teach people that the pace that Major League Baseball wants to play, if you're asking why they're mm-hmm. doing this, in the minor leagues last year, they shaved 20 to 25 minutes off the average game time from 2021. Pretty nice, pretty nice. So if you can buy that time back, I yeah. guess that's what Major League Baseball is looking to do. But again, it's a good thing that it happened in spring training, and there are a lot of rules changes that we're going to be getting used to. As I mentioned, a few of them, the pitch clock, you've got also some larger bases. You have new rules about uh, pickoff throws. You can only have two of those. If you throw over a third time, you have to pick them off, or you do get called for a balk. So I figured... I want to talk to somebody that's going to get a couple of different views, not just from the mound, but of a couple of these different plays. Braves first baseman Matt Olson, clearly he's going to have to be aware of when a pitch is being thrown. He's going to have to be alert at all times and protect himself in the words of a boxing referee. Uh, But he's also going to be the man over at first base holding runners on. So he's going to have a unique perspective of this. And this is what Matt Olson had to say about a couple of the rules changes I asked him about. As far as the pitch clock, you know, it's going to be a little transition. I don't feel like I have a big problem with it. I feel like I stay in the box pretty much. I feel like a lot of our hitters are pretty good about time. I'm sure it'll be more of an adjustment on the pitcher side. Just, you know, whether it be getting signs or, you know, working with the number of pickoffs or whatever it may be. But I'm sure we'll work those kinks out in in, uh, spring training and be ready to rock for the season. Yeah, I think Snit's been talking about until you live it, you know, you can read about it all you want, you can simulate a lot of stuff, but until you actually go out there and get some game reps with it, it's going to be an adjustment. Yeah, it'll be real when uh, you don't get a pitch off and you walk somebody or, or something like that, you know, stuff that's affecting, you know, game stuff or account swings from 1-1 to 2-1 instead of 1-1 to 1-2. Uh, you know, it's going to affect the, the flow a little bit, definitely in spring. But like I said, hopefully we work that out and good for the season. The pickoffs being limited, there's a lot of talk about what that could mean to stolen bases. You're a guy holding the guys on over at first base. I guess we're all going to kind of find out if the stolen base might become a bigger part of the game again. Yeah, I think they're definitely trying to drive it that way a little bit. You know, it's going to be a shorter distance between base to base with the two or three inches on either side. So it's going to entice people to steal a little more. As far as the pickoffs, I don't know how big of a thing. You know, honestly, in one at-bat, I don't know how many times the guy's picking off three times. You know, if it's a base stealer, they're controlling it more with looks and rhythm on the mound to where you don't, you know, have a tell and guy starts going. Um, but, yeah, it'll be interesting to see after two uh, if guys get a little uh, jumpy. And But, you know, I think it's a good little wrinkle. I'm excited to see what it's like. That's Braves first baseman Matt Olson. I caught up with him down in Northport at Braves Spring Training this past week to ask him a little bit about these rules changes. It's not all going to be as dramatic as bottom of the ninth inning, bases loaded, full count, two outs, tie game, called strike three, and the game's over. And it's certainly not going to end in a tie in the regular season either because you'd just go on to extras. Why would you subject yourself to extra innings in spring training? A question we'll never have the answer to no matter how long we talk here today. But, you know, Matt was able to give us a little bit of insight, and I think that was, and there will – Probably be more stolen bases this year. I think the pickoff plays a little bit bigger role than the larger bases, but I guess if you get a couple of inches here or there on a bang-bang play, that makes a huge difference. And MLB, I think, would like to see the stolen base come back. And honestly, I'd like to see the stolen base come back. I've gone back and looked through some of these numbers, and you know, you can lead the league in stolen bases in the 30s now. You go back in the 80s when I actually was growing up and watching baseball Vince Coleman came up with the Cardinals in 1985 and stole 100-plus bases three straight years. He was at like 500 stolen bases by the end of, I think, his fifth or sixth year in the major leagues. 
We haven't seen anybody steal 100 bases, I don't think, since then, and I don't know that we're going to see that happen now, but it was just interesting that that part of the game and the risk that's involved with potentially being thrown out and giving away a base runner has created a, a situation, I think, not, maybe it's just analytically, research-wise, just risk-reward. It's just been de-emphasized in the game. I'd love to see it come back because running is a very fun aspect of the game of baseball. You don't, ask, you don't have to ask me. You can ask Ricky Henderson. He did it better than anybody and I would love to see somebody doing it with that kind of reckless abandon again. Coming up, we are going to shift our focus to one of the main position battles for the Braves in spring training. I'm joined by Nick Green of Bally Sports Out to discuss what may be the story for Atlanta. Can Vaughn Grissom take the reins at shortstop for Atlanta? That's coming your way next on From the Diamond with Grant McCauley on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Baseball. Talking Braves and beyond. Baseball. With From the Diamond, Sports Radio 92.9, The Game. Welcome back to From the Diamond with Grant McCauley right here on Sports Radio 92.9, The Game and the Odyssey app. Make sure you're following along on Twitter. I am at Grant McCauley. You can find me there, and you can find the show each and every Sunday here on 92.9 The Game. We'll be with you, bringing you the week that was for the Braves and getting you set for the week to come. And, of course, we're on the countdown to opening day right now. March 30th against the Washington Nationals, but a lot of spring training games between now and then and a lot of things to talk about with this club and a few things for the club to figure out before we get to opening day. To help me with one of the big stories, I want to welcome Nick Green of Bally Sports South. He, of course, a former Atlanta Brave as well. You can catch him on that Bally Sports South broadcast throughout the year. Nick, there are going to be a lot of stories that we're going to be keyed in on throughout spring training, but what we've been talking about all winter long, Nick, is the opportunity that Vaughn Grissom has to take over for Dansby Swanson, but more importantly than that, to prove himself at the big league level as an everyday player this spring. Yeah, I'm excited to see what he can do at shortstop. I mean, when you look at him last year, he got rushed to the big leagues. I think everybody knows that, and that's why you saw a little bit of struggle late. Um, The first two weeks were outstanding. The defense at second base was really good in the first couple of weeks. Then it tailed off a little bit. It's hard for a guy that's, you know, 24, 25 to change positions at the big league level and succeed his first time up. And to ask a 21-year-old to do that, I thought was a lot to ask. And I thought he did a nice job for what, um, you know, he was asked to do. But I I think that this year, going into spring training, I talked to him uh, the first week of spring training, and he feels comfortable, he feels confident. I think more than anything, he's just excited to get back to his natural position of shortstop. Yeah, I think that can make a huge difference for Vaughn coming into a first full season in the big leagues. Like you said, I mean, there's enough challenges when you get to the big leagues. Then it's about staying in the big leagues, which I'm sure he is finding out. And getting back to a place where he's more comfortable at shortstop, I don't think it's a mistake that he's played that position throughout his amateur career and even his pro career. And even if there were questions about, is that his position long-term? I think he's taking all of that and really turning it into a great opportunity to prove himself at a time in which the Braves are searching for an answer at one of the most important positions on the field. When you talk to him, he knows that that spot's open for competition. He knows he hasn't been given the spot. Um, He's just excited to be there and have the opportunity. And uh, I think that you look at that shortstop position, you look at Dansby Swanson and say, Dansby's irreplaceable. I agree with that. You cannot replace a Dansby Swanson but they're not asking Vaughn to replace a Dansby Swanson. I think the most important thing for him is basically just making the routine play, doing what he needs to do on the defensive side, whatever he provides offensively, I think he's going to be a bonus. I think he's a really good offensive player. I think that offensive profile is going to improve 
uh, as he gets older. But right now, the focus is on defense. They have plenty of offense throughout that lineup. And if he can make the routine play, that's what you're going to be happy with. Can he do that on a consistent basis? Does he allow the slumps on the offensive side to affect the defense? That's the question mark. He's still a young player. I think we're asking it a lot of him at a young age. I don't know if that's truly fair, but I think he definitely wants that opportunity. He's definitely excited to have the chance to compete every day for a job. Yeah, you were talking about just how tough it is to you know make some changes, adjustments once you've reached maybe a little bit further down the road. You're 24, 25 years old. Maybe mm-hmm. you feel like you've had that chance to professionally already go through some different adjustments, highs, lows, etc. Vaughn's very early in his pro career. In fact, last year, he, Wander Franco, and Michael Harris, I think, in some order, were the three youngest players in the major leagues a year ago. And I think something that's interesting, and I want to get to Ron Washington in a moment because he's certainly been around the game for a long time, but I think one of the things that's really struck me about Vaughn, outside of all of the talk of all the work he's done defensively to improve or to prove himself as a shortstop, is that he's played with Michael at multiple different levels. And he says, as long as that guy's over there doing his thing, it enhances my belief that I can go do the same kind of things in my position and with my opportunity. He knows how good Michael Harris is. He, he understands that. He knows that he's a really good player too. Don't think that just because he talks about Michael Harris, how good he is, he doesn't think that Von Grissom is just as good. Yeah, uh, And I think that's important too, because you're going to have to have that confidence if you're going to go out there and play every single day. And it's fun to play with somebody that you're comfortable with. The other thing too, and I think if you went back 10 years ago, these young guys at 21 years old, if they struggle a little bit, their confidence is shot because the clubhouse in general was different. Now everybody's inviting these young kids in. They're excited to have them. Last year we talked to Von Grissom and he's joking around like he had been there for three or four years. He had (laughs) been there two weeks. And I think that comfort factor makes a difference in performance. And I'm so happy to see it. Yes. I was came up in the old school era Mm -hmm. of, Hey, keep your mouth shut, do your job. and, And we'll worry about the rest later on. These young kids come up knowing they have a chance to get, for a job at times and also have a chance to help their team win but they're also comfortable going into those spots and I think that's super important for those young kids especially a guy like Von Grissom knowing that he has other young players with him is a huge bonus. Joined by Nick Green of Bally Sports South as we discuss Von Grissom's opportunity to become the starting shortstop for this Atlanta Braves club and I think something interesting about this is you know you came up with the Braves in 2004 and it was a different kind of baseball. And it's not that long ago, not to date either one of us as being particularly <laughs> old school, but it was a different generation. And we are seeing now that, number one, you know who these guys are from the moment that they're signed or drafted. And their trajectory to the major leagues, it can be a lot quicker than it ever really was or routinely can be much quicker than it was before. Because if you flash back even to 2018, Ronald Acuna Jr. is coming up at 19 years old. Ozzie Albies the year before that, only 20 years old when he came up. Freddie Freeman was only 20 when he debuted, for that matter, and that was kind of splitting the difference between your time with the Braves and where we're sitting here now. I guess what I'm saying is, you know, throw Jason Hayward in there as well because the Braves have had some guys that they have given that opportunity to regardless of age because they have a belief in the players. So I guess the question I have for you is, do you feel like the Braves are already looking at Vaughn Grissom in that way and just kind of asking that question, are you ready for this opportunity because it's here if you can grab it? I think Vaughn's a little bit different. I mean, when you look at Jason Hayward, you look at Freddie Freeman, those guys were elite prospects. I'm not saying that Vaughn's not an elite prospect, but Vaughn's a very good prospect. But Vaughn is a different type of prospect for me. He's a tall, rangy kid uh, who's going to develop more power. Mm -hmm. He's not a finished product at all. 
Michael Harris to me looked, last year looked like almost a finished product. I mean, does he have room to grow? Absolutely. But coming up and performing as well as he did, I don't expect the same of a guy like Von Grissom. I expect really good stuff with him. He's more of a contact guy. He's not the guy that's going to wow you every single day uh, with special things on the field. I think he's the guy for me that the more I watch him, the more I fall in love with him. And that's a good thing too, because the expectation sometimes is so high with some of these guys yeah. that it's hard to live up to that. A guy like Spencer Strider, the expectation was high because he threw 100 miles an hour. Uh, the guy, <laughs> I, the expectation for Michael Harris is because he was a big prospect on the mound. He has a good arm. He's a five-tool type player. And when he comes up to the big league, you expect big things from him. He had to make adjustments to get there mm-hmm. uh, once he got to the big leagues. I think Vaughn is in that process of making those adjustments. When you look at the first two weeks versus the last month and a half or whatever Vaughn was up last year, he's going to have to make adjustments based on those, that backside of that that uh, month and a half or whatever that was last year. Mm-hmm. I think going into the offseason, knowing what he has to work on is going to help him become a better player. But I don't want to discredit what how good Vaughn can be and what he might be this year, but I don't expect him to be a Michael Harris, and that's okay. I expect him to be a good, solid defender who's a bat-to-ball skill type of guy and can provide 15 to 20 home runs if he mm-hmm. plays every day for 162. So uh, the expectations are, I think, a little bit different based on Vaughn versus some of those other guys. He's Nick Green of Bally Sports South joining me here on From the Diamond on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game with Grant McCauley. And one of the things that's really interesting, and then I want to talk about Ron Washington. I just didn't want to lead with that because we could get lost <laughs> talking about how fun Ron Washington is for the whole time. But one of the things that I see with Vaughn Grissom and this opportunity for him is, yes, Dansby Swanson leaving does create a hole that the Braves had not previously had. But if you think about, Nick, how long it took Dansby Swanson to really, truly establish mm-hmm. himself, it really didn't feel like it was fully taking root till for me, like 2019 2020, even in the shortened season, then the last couple of years, it really seemed like we were seeing him become offensively and defensively the kind of player that you'd expect him to be. Von Grissom doesn't have to deal with that because he's not a number one overall pick from the hometown that has all of the ballyhoo and all of the things that went with that that Dansby did. He doesn't have to be the guy on this team because you look to your right. Hey, there's Austin Riley. Look across the diamond. Oh, there's Matt Olson. Looks to his left. He's got a double play partner who's a pretty big deal, an all-star in Ozzie Albies. you got Ronald Acuna. you got Michael Harris, Spencer Strider, Max Fried. You can name a whole bunch of guys that you think of with the Braves. It's not all the Vaughn Grissom show to where I feel like he has to have the added pressure beyond just playing his game, which is what he said he wants to concentrate on, to go out there and truly take this opportunity and run with it. I always go back to Michael Harris because he's the most recent one, but you look at where he hit in the order last year when he came up. It was towards the bottom because they didn't have to put him higher up in the order because they didn't need him up there. And what that was able to do is let him get comfortable in who he is as a big league player, gain that confidence as a big league player, and then all of a sudden you see him start to improve his his play on the field. Then you start to move him up in the order. Bond's a guy right now that can sit in that eight, nine spot in the order and be completely fine. Mm-hmm. And then he just wants, if he makes contact like he has in the minor leagues, then all of a sudden you have a, a bat to ball school guy at the bottom, so which can flip over the lineup. And I love that. I, I love the fact that he's not going to be thrown right in there in that three, four spot in the order, or even the two spot in the order. And that's why Michael Harris didn't go up to the two spot until late in the year last year, because you don't want to rush those guys while they're getting their feet wet. I can't wait to see where he ends up as far as a player is concerned. But right now, the the I guess all the marbles aren't just thrown out on to Avon Grissom. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And that's a good thing. And with a lineup like the Braves have, the only thing that's going to be an issue is if he struggles, this team is built to win. If he struggles, how long do they give him as far as that leash is concerned? And I, I think that that's going to be something interesting to look at, especially if he wins the job and throughout the first month, month and a half of the season, where does where does that leash kind of come into play a little bit? Yeah, it's an excellent question. And we watched throughout the winters, not only did Dansby Swanson leave and go to Chicago, get that big deal with the Cubs, but a lot of the other veteran options at shortstop have now found other homes. And I'm not just talking about Trey Turner or Xander Bogarts or Carlos Correa, but a lot of the other guys. Elvis Andrus just signed recently with the Chicago White Sox. So some of these fallback options that you might have thought, and again, of the Andrus variety that the Braves could go out and get, even though they're kind of right up against an over-the-luxury-tax threshold for the first time ever, if they felt like that was something they needed to do, I feel like the Braves and Alex Anthopoulos has the clearance to go out and do something like that. But I'm hoping that Von Grissom, with the work that he did over the winter, is going to be able to prove himself as a viable big league shortstop and get things started in a, I don't want to say a no-pressure situation, but a lower-pressure situation by being able to go out and do exactly kind of what you've laid out. And then offensively, what he's given you down there, you just want it to be consistent, good at bats, and hey, hitting in front of Ronald Acuna Jr. is not a bad thing, I don't think, for Vaughn either. (laughs) All right, let's talk about Ron Washington. I teased this for a while. Nick Green, you've played some infield at the major league, something I haven't done. Can you tell me, tell the listener, just how valuable a Ron Washington is for helping players to create consistency and routine, muscle memory, and to elevate their game defensively and perhaps mentally to become the best defender they can possibly be? I think when you look at his work on the field, you obviously see, yeah, he's a hard worker. He's out there every single day hitting guys' ground balls and working on their their hands and that's something that's important. You want to establish some sort of routine if you're an infielder. I love the fact that he holds those guys accountable. I think that's the most important thing with him. Yeah, all the the routine is a big deal because you're basically looking at fundamentals on a consistent basis. How do I get my fundamentals better? And how do I take those fundamentals into the game? Well, if I've created a consistent routine and I'm held accountable for my work, usually things are going to carry over a little bit. And I, I think the other thing, too, when I, when I sit down at the dugout and I report sometimes uh, on the field, I, I look at Wash when these guys make a mistake. And he brings them over. He doesn't rip them. Right. He talks to them and explains to them what they need to do to be better on the next play. He says, forget it. That's over with. That's done with. And when you have a coach that is so diligent in helping these players and also patting them on the back, saying, hey, good job. I know you could do this. Building your confidence up. There's no way that I feel like as a player, I'm not going to succeed. When I have a coach that's that invested in me and knows that I can be a great player and encourages me every single time I do struggle, makes me feel like I'm a little bit better than I am, you can't replace those type of coaches. No, you can't. And Ron Washington has proven himself to be, I think, indispensable to the Braves' success. That accountability, that's a big deal. It doesn't mean that you're going to go out there and be perfect, but the attitude and taking responsibility for trying to make oneself better, I think Ron Washington really instills that in this club and has since the day he walked through the door, and that could make a difference. For Vaughn Grissom, it's made a difference for guys like Ozzy Albies. I know Matt Olson does his work, Austin Riley. All of these guys are out there working hard and working to be diligent in the field and do everything they can 
to put themselves in position to succeed. And we'll see how the Von Grissom story plays out as we have some exhibition action to watch him to size him up. And now we're going to have the regular season right around the corner closer by the day. Nick, I appreciate all your time. Thanks for stopping in and chatting about what we hope is going to be perhaps a fixture on the Braves infield. Yet another one of those for a long time to come. Look forward to talking to you soon. Thanks, Grant. Big thanks to Nick Green of Bally Sports for joining us. we got a lot more Braves talk coming your way right here on From the Diamond with Grant McCauley on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Baseball. Talking Braves and beyond. Baseball. With From the Diamond, Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. And welcome back in. This is From the Diamond. Grant McCauley with you from the Kia Studios on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game as we wrap up our first live show of 2023. Thanks for making some time to join me. As always, if you missed anything on the show, like that great interview I just had with Nick Green, you can find the podcast, where, or you can find From the Diamond, wherever you get your podcast. Just search for From the Diamond there. You can also like me on Facebook, find the show there, and links at fromthediamond.com where you can get all the social media, all the podcast episodes, of course, and all the writing and other content I'll have for you all season long. So make sure you're joining us here on 92.9 The Game on Sundays, typically 5 to 7. Check your local listings and all that good stuff. Anyway, a lot of good stuff has happened on this show. We've talked about and heard from uh, quite a few members of the Atlanta Braves. We're going to hear from another of those in just a moment when I caught up with reliever A.J. Mentor. But I thought it would be good to close out the show with a group that's going to be closing things out for the Atlanta Braves. And, of course, the bullpen has been a big part of Atlanta's success over the past few years. And it's funny to see that after, as the Braves got good and went on this run of five consecutive division titles, if you go back in your time machine and you look at 2018 and look at, in particular, 2019, the trades that Alex Anthopoulos had to make to really strengthen the bullpen, whether it was Mark Melanson or Chris Martin or Shane Green, I mean, there were a lot of different trades that were made to make this group better and have made it a much better group over the past few years to the point where the advent of the night shift came along. And that group is going to live in Braves lore uh, for as long as uh, the Atlanta Braves are a thing. And I think they're going to be a thing for a while. It's 151 years and counting at this point if you're scoring at home. But that night shift was such a critical part of the 2021 World Series championship. And it's going to change you know, year to year. You're going to see different faces in that bullpen. But if you start looking at this group, even with the you know former all-star and a guy I think is going to Cooperstown and Kinley Jansen, even with him leaving and going to the Boston Red Sox, you still have a group that I think is primed to play a huge role for the Braves in 2023 and really give you the same kind of consistency that we've seen really year in and year out uh, from this group. Rysel Iglesias came over in a trade from the Angels. He was, I think, dynamic. One of the big reasons that the Braves in the second half were as good as they were was his work after coming over in that trade it looks like he takes over as Atlanta's closer. He's the man with the most experience. He's the guy that's getting paid the big bucks. And for good reason, he's under contract for, what, three more years. Expectations for him, if it's anything like uh, the little bit that we saw last year when he came over from the Angels, I think the ninth inning is going to be in good hands. But as we know, it's not just about the final three outs, though they are important. It's those outs in the sixth, seventh, and eighth inning that have been so important, and the Braves have had such a great group that they've been able to mix and match. And if you look at what's going on in the bullpen this year, that night shift is uh, kind of gone by the wayside. Will Smith was traded to the Houston Astros last year. Luke Jackson, uh, Tommy John last year. He's now a San Francisco Giant. You still have A.J. Minter in, in tow, but you also had to – Tyler Matzik has undergone Tommy John surgery and is not going to pitch, but the Braves, they did re-sign him, so they're hoping to have him back in 2024. But I, I say all that to say 
this group is going to change a lot from year to year, and the Braves have been able to, I think, restock the bullpen. Perhaps that's the word. Uh, you've got A.J. Mentor in the mix. You've got Kirby Yates. Joe Jimenez, I think, is going to be a really interesting arm to watch. He came over from Detroit. He's a guy that in getting a good look at him off the bullpen, I think is going to add another swing and miss kind of right-handed reliever. Speaking of swings and misses, Colin McHugh had a very good first season with the Braves. He got some big strikeouts, some big outs for the Braves last year. Dylan Lee, another lefty in that pin mix. And then you got some new veterans that are going to come in and I think could give the Braves the kind of quality depth that they need. Lucas Lukey coming over from the uh, Yankees. Nick Anderson also joining the club this year. There were trade talks a couple of years ago about trying to get Nick Anderson. Now they've signed him. They can add him to the mix with holdovers like Jesse Chavez, who's back on a minor league deal. Jackson Stevens also back on a minor league deal. So in bringing up all those names and throwing all those guys out there, you just know that that kind of depth is going to come in handy. And there will be other names that we're going to be calling because the Braves used 29 pitchers last year. They're going to use, by some very simple math, a lot of pitchers here in 2023 because every club is going to. Uh, but that's a pretty good group to start with. So I caught up with one of the key relievers for the Braves here in the last few years, and he will be again in the 2023 season. And A.J. Minter, see how his winter was going and see as he comes to spring training what exactly he's focused on for a brand-new season. So here is my visit with Braves reliever A.J. Minter. You're a Braves reliever A.J. Minter. I've had about a week or so to really get settled in here in camp, but I know the excitement is getting everybody together, putting on the uniforms, of course, and uh, counting down the days of Grapefruit League games. How has the first week or so of spring been, and how excited are you to be back with this group? Yeah, I mean, this really this kind of being back this first week, just kind of being first day of school all over again. You just kind of meet all the new guys and just get to know them and um, just enjoy being around the guys that you miss in the off season. So I'm um, excited. It's always excited to be back in spring um, after about – a month or two in the off season, you kind of get that itch to um, come back already. So it's just good to be back. You know, for those who have kind of watched you and other players who grew through the Brave system and coming up and establishing yourselves at the big league level, how different is spring training camp now, especially considering the amount of winning that has gone on for this team, than it was, say, that first time you walked through those doors over in Disney? Well, I've kind of learned that in the past I would get in trouble coming into spring because you're trying to make the team on the first day of camp. And then now you kind of have time to – just take things slow and listen to your body and um, try not to overdo things and you know especially you get all the coaches and uh, media and everyone all the eyes are on you throwing your bullpens is you learn not to overdo it and spring training is a long time to get ready and that's what I've kind of learned over the seven plus years now it's just um, take things slow don't make the team on first camp and just enjoy being back. What's the winter like for you? I know you probably go unplug for a little bit, but then, of course, you got to always have an eye on the fact that, hey, mid-February is going to be coming around and you're going to be getting back to work in spring training. What do you do in the offseason to kind of keep sharp? Yeah, so really that first month um, after the season, I take off, don't throw, start working out. Usually the 1st of November, I pick up a baseball, 1st of December, and you start throwing sides in January. And then other than that, I just do, you know, obviously a lot of hunting, a lot of golf, um, going to football games. So it's time to just to really relax and let your body recover. And, but at the same time, you have to be ready to work because that off season and spring training, they, they come up fast. So, but it's just, it's always good to just go back home and just kind of get away from baseball and just be with friends and family and 
Um, but with that being said, I, I was ready to get back. So, Well, obviously the work has begun here in spring training, and for the bullpen, it's always going to be important work that's done on a day-in, day-out basis. And this bullpen has been, I think, one of the strengths of this club over the past couple of years. How do you size up the group that's coming in? Because one thing I think that is certain for bullpens, typically annually, is there's going to be change, new faces, and uh, kind of a new mix, if you will. Well, in order to have a good bullpen, you have to have depth because, as you see, guys just continuing to psych out it's not always the same eight guys that's going to last through the whole year you have to have depth down in triple a guys are going to get injured um and alex did his homework again this offseason he brought in guys that are not only you know good relievers on the field but they're just good teammates and just getting to be around these guys these first few weeks and i'm um, just excited to share be on the same team with them and everybody has kind of, I guess, ups and downs in their career. I mean, you came up, you kind of got established, you did some closing, then I think you had to kind of reset a couple of different times, including in 2021. What's kind of helped you over the last couple of years really find that consistency that you have? Yeah, um, you know, like you said, I've been at the kind of the top and I've been all the way down at the bottom, the bottom of the barrel. So I've just learned my stuff, I'm able to just attack hitters and throw strikes. Mm-hmm. Now, some hitters, no offense to Chavi because he's right, just sitting here right beside me, but he has to be a little bit more careful. He has to be more careful of his location. Mm-hmm. I feel like I am a little bit more privileged where I don't have to necessarily dot on the outside of the corner. I just need to attack and just throw strikes, and I feel like I can get away with missing my spots more often. And so I've learned that my fastball's really good, just establish my fastball, and if I can get ahead in early in counts, my chances of getting out sort of goes up a lot more. And I, I was just getting the trouble of I wanted to throw as hard as I can and not necessarily throw strikes. I just wanted to be nasty and fell behind in counts. You walk guys and guys get on base, bad things are going to happen. Well, last one for you, and just kind of in the mix of this bullpen, it seems like you guys have a lot of different styles, not just righties, lefties, but guys that have different arsenals. How much does that help each one of you as you come in to do your job and to get your outs that you need to, knowing that these hitters are going to have to really do their homework on this whole group? Well, I think it's going to help Snit more, and therefore he's going to put us in situations that are going to benefit us. So like you said, I'm a guy that's going to come in and – I align with certain type of hitters. Chavi's going to learn with certain type of hitters. Yeah. That's He's going to put us into situations that's going to make us benefit. So and rather than me coming in always in the always in the seventh inning, rather, okay, I'm going to come in when we have two lefties up and a righty. That's going to benefit me. Face gets you know, better lefties more. So I think it's just going to help both ways. It's just going to help Snit bring in the right guys, and therefore – it's going to put us better in better situations. Well, it should be an exciting year. Good luck in all the preparation, and I guess the countdown to opening day begins. I appreciate it. That is Braves reliever A.J. Minter. My conversation with him from Braves spring training this past week. I was down in Northport, and as I talked about you know, coming into this before hearing from A.J. Minter, how big the Braves bullpen was last year. If you look in all of Major League Baseball, these are the ranks amongst all 30 teams. The Braves were third best in strikeouts per nine fourth best in ERA, and second only to the Los Angeles Dodgers in Fangrass wins above replacement, which if you want to get into the kind of advanced look at you know value from a bullpen, the Braves did some pretty serious work. And at the center of all of that is not just necessarily the closer and the guy who's getting the final three outs, but as it happened, A.J. Minter was easily the Braves' most valuable reliever a year ago, at least in terms of wins above replacement. 2.1 F4, one of the best in all of baseball, and Atlanta's best reliever overall in a number of different important categories. 
How about a team leading 75 appearances to go with a team leading, as far as relievers are concerned, 2.06 ERA and 12 strikeouts per nine. This is a guy who misses bats, and this, I think, with A.J., and I asked him a little bit about it. You heard it there. In 2021, there was a time on the road to the World Series that A.J. Mentor had to go back down to AAA and kind of figure it out again to get a bit of a reset. And, and that was a crazy foreign thought if you watched in 2020 as A.J. Mentor was getting some huge outs for the Atlanta Braves and was huge in the National League Championship Series when Atlanta had a chance to knock off the Dodgers. That one didn't go the way that they wanted it to, but by the time that the Braves and the Dodgers were meeting again in the 2022 NLCS, that worked out much better for Atlanta, and A.J. Minter was once again front and center, one of the most important relievers on the road to that World Series. It's going to be Rysel Iglesias who's going to be looked at to slam the door for this group, and everybody has a role, and as you heard from A.J. there, there's opportunity in different innings to get some big outs, but somebody needs to have that continuity at the back end, and Iglesias makes a ton of sense. After coming over from the Los Angeles Angels, 28 appearances for Iglesias, one run allowed in those outings, a 0-34 ERA, over 10 strikeouts per nine. I would say that the ninth-inning duties are in very good hands when you think about Iglesias taking over for Kenley Jansen, who led Atlanta with 41 saves last year. Again, it's just a really good mix overall when you look at some of these relievers up and down, and we'll talk about them a lot as we get ready for the season here, maybe take even a, a deeper dive into what Atlanta's bullpen could look like here in 2023 as we continue our countdown for opening day, which is March the 30th against the Washington Nationals. With all of that said, though, that's going to wrap us up for this first edition of 2023 of From the Diamond on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Hope you join me each and every Sunday, 5 to 7, our normal time slot. You can find From the Diamond wherever you get your podcast. Lots more Braves and baseball talk will be coming your way. But until next time, I am Grant McCauley. So long, everyone.